Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today, I am joined by composer and pianist Billy Childs. Billy has toured all over the world performing jazz piano, and he has won four Grammys for his compositions, as well as earned 13 Grammy nominations. His music has been commissioned by the LA Philharmonic, the Lincoln Center Jazz Festival Orchestra, Monterey Jazz Festival, and the Kronos Quartet, just to name a few. Billy offers wonderful insight into his creative process and how he overcomes stressors, including, of course, the reality of the pandemic and the ongoing police brutality and systemic racism in this country. We talk about how Billy returns to writing amidst this very difficult time period, and also the internal pressures that he puts on himself and how he works through with consistency and practice to return to his writing process. Hi, Billy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm doing pretty well. As well as can be expected, you know. So I saw a couple of your interviews, uh, particularly the one with the L.A. Master Chorale. Right. um, Since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just very moved and kind of touched by how open you were about how this is a, a hard time to write and I know you just yeah. finished your violin concerto so congratulations on that thank you. thank you yeah yeah it is I mean don't you think so yes <laughs> that's why I'm doing this <laughs> yeah I know. I know I mean that's kind of the whole kind of the whole theme of this thing is to to stay focused and to stay um you know, sane and to to try and do things to um, <clears throat> to keep motivated and to keep inspired. You know, I mean, this pandemic is pretty much what it, it what it forces us to do goes against the very thing that we need to do as musicians, which is like to connect with with people. I mean, if you can't physically connect, if you know if you can't be in the proximity of people while your music is being performed, while you're exchanging ideas, then that goes against everything that is important in music. I mean, it's about transferring a message, a healing message, hopefully, to to other people, you know, from what springs up in your mind. So it's it's really hard. I mean, at first, when this first started getting crazy, like in April, early April and stuff, yeah. it started making you ask a lot of existential questions, like, am I even necessary? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, when people are getting something that's killing them, it makes you start thinking that. But then, you know, you start thinking that music is, I mean, you know that music is necessary, uh, art yeah. is necessary. Uh, museums are necessary, you know, for the for the essence of a society, for the sanity of a society. So that kept me going for a while, but it was tough. 
I think the the need for human expression, you know, the need to express yourself and the need to um, receive that expression from another human being is going is is not going to go away. It's it's part of our DNA. Well, the other thing that's difficult is is um, not not seeing the end of it. I, re I just finished this violin concerto, but to what end, you know? Uh, and it's we're talking about. And actually, it took maybe like ten months. And the reason it took ten months is because, you know, when I should have been I should have been finished in like April or something. Mm -hmm. But this whole everything that was happening in America at that time kind of distracted me from the virus to the racial protests, you know, to it's an election year and thinking about that, you know. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was very distracting. So it took a long time and then I finished it and I'm thinking, okay, I finished. Boy, I hope I sure get to hear it. I knew back in April it wasn't going to be premiered in July, so I just dragged my feet. And I'm yeah. sure you were doing the same thing. That's yeah. a good thing, by the way. You think because, so? Yeah, because I'm very happy with what I ended up with, with the violin concerto. Okay. I dragged my feet and only composed when I was ready to compose. So just like jazz is in my, you know, body, you know, so it's always going to inform my music, even if I'm writing you know, a serial music, you know, or, you know, pointillistic or for some percussion ensemble or some jazz is always going to inform it in some way. And being black is always going to inform my music in some way. So the racial tensions that have now been exacerbated by this video is nothing new to me and nothing new to any composer who's black or of color. When Philando Castile got shot, I don't, do you remember? Yeah. Castile? Yeah, he got shot in his car with his girlfriend looking and their child looking in the back seat and it affected me deeply. I wrote a couple of pieces about it, but um, uh, one piece was a piano piece, piano and violin piece for Rachel Barton Pine. Um, and, uh, but the other, I wrote a poem. I wrote this poem because I was very angry. I, it inspired me to write this poem, which very, pretty much addresses uh, uh, everything that I thought was an ill in this country that related to, to, to black people, you know. Now that I've done that, I want to expand on that more. Now that these events uh, have happened, I, I have ideas of what I want to do as a project. You know, and um, and it has to do with, you know, how do we, how do we get, how do we ultimately heal this, or bring together erasist schism in America that is, um, you know, kind of making the country implode. Denial of of um, this original sin of America called racism. Is not gonna is not gonna do anything to heal. It's, that has to happen first, and right. then um, once that happens, uh, then then uh, healing can begin. And I want my music to address that. I want my music to to talk more about that. I think 
that there there has to be you know uh, some music that speaks to that. So I want to do that. Are you saying your music is going to speak to that through a combination with your poetry, or do you? F yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes it helps if there are words because if you're talking about specific things it's it's easier to address it with words i had a commission where i had to address human trafficking and i had to write a piece for a big band about human trafficking and i could for the life of me i big couldn't band. Out, yeah i couldn't figure out how to yeah. make this work with big band you know so what I had to do was I had to listen to a lot of testimonials of victims. I, I, I scoured the internet. I actually met with activists in this field. And um, it led me to the conclusion that I had to write words. I had to write a song, you right. know, and have the song accompanied in a way that is not a traditional big band, you know, with celebratory like Brig Brash you know, like shouting brass and right. all that. Um, I had to do it in a way that, um, that, that was, you know, served the song. And, and so the only way I could get to it was with words. Mm -hmm. And I think um, with these issues, I think I'm going to have to use a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. Does it feel like music is not enough to speak to it? Well, I don't think that's the case. I'm not saying that. I yeah. think that um, when you're going to get specific yeah. and, and, the, and the concepts that you're getting specific about are layered, they have a lot of, as, uh, with racism, we're dealing with black, white, Latino, uh, Asian, you know, we're dealing with America. That's complex. Yeah. I don't think just writing a piece of of music, uh, instrumental right. music, will adequately convey all of the complexities. Um, maybe it could in the hands of, you know, someone who saw clearly how to do that. Um, I'm just saying uh, I, I need to yeah. deal with it with words. Do you think about, I, I mean, I imagine this is a question you've faced throughout your life, but particularly now, do you think about kind of which organizations to partner with that are really going to support you for who you are, as opposed to like kind of jumping on this as being a hot topic issue or, you know, being used as a token composer? Do you think about that? No, I, I, okay. I think if they feel like that's their reason that they have to give me the commission, I'll take the commission, you know. Okay. Um, uh, and and then I'll just go in there. But I never looked at myself. Uh, I, I I look at myself as a black man who composes music. I don't look at myself as a black composer. You know, like uh, you know, there's the there's the composers, and then there's the black composers. You know, um, I don't think anybody and I'm sure you don't look at yourself as you look at yourself as a woman who composes music not as in this select area of of women composers you know uh, I mean I'm sure it, it makes your skin crawl when 
when someone says, oh, Julia Adolph is a great woman composer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah, you don't want to think of yourself. You want to think of yourself as in the, in the whole. Um, right. But, but at the same time, you can't deny you're a woman, and I can't deny I'm black, you know. How do you kind of stay inspired or reconnect? I mean, you, you did finish the violin concerto, so how did you do that? Um, you know, you just... Um, it, being inspired um, is something sometimes you have to just grab. You just have to keep doing something. It's like practicing through repetition you just get better um, and through you know it's very tiring mentally to think of the same to, to try and solve the same problem that seems unsolvable but has to be solved um, uh, it's mentally exhausting but you have to just keep doing it until you solve the problem and you just keep looking at the same thing yes. until oh something occurs to you you know yeah. Let me look at it this way. You look at a slightly different angle and it changes the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's exciting. It's, it's hard. To, you know, when I was in my 20s, when I composed and I got a great idea, I was, there was an excitement and I was, you know, revved up. And I'm looking for more. Those, those kind of events are happening fewer and far between, you know. But, I, but they still happen. So how do you um, generate them when they're not, you know, so when you are mentally exhausted, have you developed a practice that kind of helps jumpstart, you know, reconnecting to that image? Not really, you know, just I keep looking at it until I keep banging my head against the wall until, you know, the wall breaks apart. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things that I try, you know, like um, if there's, you know, sometimes when you're composing, you're saying, oh, I'm writing all of this part so that I could get to the money part, the, 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 the <laughs> really great part that I, I, I know how that's going to go and it's going to be incredible. It's going to blow people away, but let me do this stuff first, you know, and then you get to that. And then you finally get to, and oftentimes, actually, the money part is not as hip as you thought it was, and it's the, actually the stuff that le led up to it, that's, which is really cool. But sometimes when you get to that part, um, nothing that you seem, that you're trying to write seems to work. Right. right? So you're like, oh man, I thought it was gonna, this was gonna be so cool, but I can't figure out what to do. A lot of times, what I do is, I'll just go the opposite way. So if it's supposed to be a very dense, highly contrapuntal part that has a, a 2D section, you know, with a lot of orchestration and a lot of activity, um, I might just go the other way and make it very sparse and very simple and very, you know, with a solo instrument or something and just kind of a pad that accompanies it. You know, I'll try that. Do you think that, um, I mean, this question is coming from my experience writing, but do you think that there's some sort of like pressure or expectation that you're putting on yourself for that money moment um, <laughs> that somehow like the freer stuff leading up to that 
like is more free because there's less of Of, an expectation um or you're more kind of going with the flow yeah i you know now i'm old enough and i think i've gotten a little bit of wisdom uh to where i don't take any part of the composing process for granted you know so i give equal weight to everything that i'm writing um or everything you know i I try to give equal weight um but i've just put i just put extraordinary enormous amounts of pressure on myself anyway you know it's just how i am you know i'm I'm kind of ocd about the 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 structure the themes the the i'll work on two measures for th- four days you know? i will too yeah <laughs> i do too you know? <laughs> but sometimes you know i'll get like 30 40 measures in in a day you know right um but those are that's that's usually i have a thread and then i go with it and i know exactly how it's going to go but sometimes on those parts where i just can't figure it out um and those, at those moments, I hate composing, <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, I don't I don't really hate it. I just hate that I can't think of it. It's frustrating. It's like playing chess and always getting checkmated. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I'm, you know, anybody who's a professional, I'm sure you do too, you know. Um, it doesn't matter if there's a deadline or not. I just put pressure on myself regardless even to the point where i'm noting how i notate it you know Mm um you know even like when i was i I write everything in finale now but when i hand wrote my scores um i would erase it even if it was perfectly legible because it didn't look right you know Mm. (laughs) so so like note the note would be slanted too much you know (laughs) I'd have to like erase it so it'd be more circular, like round. That's OCD, you know. I yeah, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at my like. Okay, this is a bassoon sonata I wrote back in two thousand and three. Um, oh wow! That is beautiful. You know. You're using a ruler, aren't you? No, no. No, that's no. your freehand. Uh huh. I just love doing that. Do you put the same kind of pressure on yourself that you do when you're writing as when you are performing and specifically maybe with improvisation? How does that work with your piano performance? Yeah, I I do. I kind of, I do put the same kind of pressure on myself. It's, it's, um, you know, like, um, I, I, I like to have a glass of wine before I play a, a, a gig but I'm doing that less and less because you know as the music gets more difficult that I write um, I'm finding out I need all my hand-eye coordination you know? <laughs> important <laughs> yeah. for the piano yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's an indication of me um, putting pressure on myself but yeah I I do I really you know I get nervous um, yeah. 
uh, sometimes if it's a situation that I'm uncomf uncomfortable in, um, I'm not a concert pianist, performer. Um, I can do that if I have to, but I, it, it's really nerve-wracking for me to be in a situation where every note has to be exactly right, you know. I even, remember, oh, go ahead. Oh, just even in improvisation? Well, no, not in improvisation because there the idea is that you're going, you're, you're composing spontaneously. And the idea is you're going for things that are different. So, it's, I mean, you don't want to be sloppy and, and just every other note is a mistake in your solo. But you want, the, I think the spirit there is, is, is to go for things that are new. And I, I actually think mistakes are proof that you're improvising, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I love that, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself about everything. Though. Sure. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I have, and it, it, it does kind of affect your whole life, you know, when, when you have that mindset. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right. Do you have, um, other than the glass of red wine, do you have, um, <laughs> other, other things that you do to kind of help you? unwind before you write or before you perform? No, I'm usually excited by whatever project that I have and then I just go into it. I don't really, um, I don't really ever unwind from music, you know, which is, can be hard on a relationship, you know. I mean, um, mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife for 25 years, you know, uh, she did, you know, like incredible with like having patience uh, with with um, my, you know, kind of like going into my own space um, because it's 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 um, that's what it is. It's a relationship. Composing, um, yeah, composing is a is kind of a, you have to explore yourself a lot, and it's a very solitary um, existence sometimes and it's hard to let other people in you yeah. know uh, to that um, and and so uh, so it's it's um yeah so I never really unwind from music music's always kind of going on in my head yeah. um, and uh, I have to kind of dim it down to to do other things but like for instance, like going in, like I love going to Huntington Library. I'm looking at a beautiful, beautiful row of flowers or a beautiful row of trees, and I'm thinking of what it sounds like in my head musically. You know, yeah. um, it somehow relates, and I, it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, I understand that. I've heard you say that. Um, well, and you mentioned it earlier in this conversation that you want your music to be a place for healing. Um, I don't hear a lot of composers say that um, as sort of their number one thing that they want for their music. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's an afterthought or, but anyway, I, you know, I, I love that. And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about what that means and how you try to achieve that. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there was a guy who um, 
came up to me. Um, I did an album of, you know, kind of reimagining of Laura Nero music. For those, those of you who don't know, don't know who Laura Nero is, she was a singer-songwriter <coughs> in the 60s and 70s who was a great influence on me. She was like in the, on the level of Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon, um, Bob Dylan, uh, Leonard Cohen. Um, these, these kind of, uh, she was up there. And um, I did an album where I, where uh, Larry Klein, who's a great producer, he and I collaborated on this and we um, um, did this, this album where we rearranged, I rearranged all these songs and he produced it. Uh, anyway, um, there was a guy whose wife, who said his wife was dying of cancer and took and and he took her to see our concert at Disney Concert Hall and he said it was one of the last um, great things that they did together it made her feel really it made her feel really good you know it really yeah. gave her so that that to me is a healing thing. It's not really. It didn't heal her of her cancer, but it, right. it it helped to make her life a little better in her last days, and um, and it was important to him. He told me this at a subsequent concert that I did at LACMA, um, and I never forgot it. When people get something out of the music um, that makes their life better. Um, that's my goal. That's what I want. It's why I do it. And the way I found to do it is I think people, my way of doing it is people gravitate toward melody. I, I, to yes. me, the, the most important things to me are melody and structure, you know. Um, and, um, you know, when, I mean, because when you have a good structure, you know, the, the, the music flows in such a way that it keeps the listener's attention. I think once you can engage people on that level and the and you can get them completely involved in your story that you're trying to tell and the story is something that makes them look truthfully at things or look at themselves differently in a better way then I think you know that's my goal anyway. Mm -hmm. So how do you create with music a story that people can see themselves more truthfully? Well, I mean, first of all, the first thing I tell students is that you have to know what the story is first. I think you have to know why you're going to write this piece or what you're trying to um, do with this piece, what kind of emotion you're trying to evoke. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have to be clear on that, I think. Um, and then, you know, it can be, it doesn't have to be an exact program, you know. Right. Um, but you, at least the notion has to be strong. I want something dazzling that's going to bowl people over. I want something really introspective that's going to make people, like, kind of feel, you know, like they really need to look within. I want something creepy that's going to keep people on edge. Not in an ultra-manipulative way, like, be sad, be sad, be sad. Right. Like, to me, this... 
that just sounds pretty. It's, it represents pretty. Okay. Yeah. That represents motion. That represents action. Mm-hmm. You know. That re- that represents um, kind of a sadness, but with with the minor seventh in- involved, kind of a, the sadness is a little has a little more depth to it. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. These things I'm talking about are intangible, you right. know, but um, but they they work for me and they help me um, convey moods in my music. Yeah, emotions. Yeah. But yeah, I want it to sound like a, a, a cloudburst or something. Yeah, or, or I want it to sound like, um, you know, do you see music in shapes? Um, I see. Form in shapes, like overall structure. Yeah, I see music in shapes, so I actually see the shape of it, um, wow. and what it, what it should. I associate the shape of what it looks like in my mind to what it's gonna sound like, um, and that's it's kind of a very abstract way of looking at it, but that's kind of how I do it, um, and um, yeah, it it's a. It's a, you know, everyone has their own internal process, their yeah. language. Any kind of shape, like imagine looking at like um, Pro Tools, you uh-huh. know, and you see the graph of the sound going up and down. Mm-hmm. That's a very, that's a very primitive version uh, of what I'm talking about. And they're very abstract. It's like a thing that is, that's, way in my subconscious or something or mm-hmm. you know, it's something that I can't really say this is it you know yeah but I know what it is it translates very at a very subconscious level to music from shapes you know no one's ever asked me where I had to answer that in depth but that <laughs> discovered that that's what happened when I was just answering it. Cool. Laura Nero um, used to uh, speak in colors too. She wanted her music. I mean, imagine having a session where there's like, you know, seven brass players or something, and you say, can you play, make it more purple? <laughs> Which is a famous story. <laughs> and make it like, more what? purple? Yeah, make it more purple. So did like, she what? mean... Yeah. I don't know what she meant. I don't think they knew. I think she meant darker, you know. Right, like war- like warmer. darker but warm. Yeah, yeah. I've also heard you heard you say that um, if you have talent, you have the obligation or duty to pursue that talent. Um, and I think that's incredible, and it's also a hard thing to follow. So I'm wondering yeah. how you came up with that belief. Whatever your belief is, you have it and it's rare, you know. So you are blessed with it. And I think it's a waste, a, a complete waste to not try to pursue it to the ultimate. I mean, especially it'll, it, it means that you will contribute something to the world of value um, once you have fully developed your talent, and you're not doing that when you don't fully mm-hmm. develop it. And and your son is a musician, right? 
Yeah, both of my sons. Both of them, uh, okay. Yeah, I have two boys. And they're both really th- great thinkers, too. They, they think deeply about stuff, and they're very smart. And I'm very proud of both of them. So how did you, did you take an active role in cultivating their musical interests? I tried to, um, yeah. I tried to have cool music playing around the house. So I, I had a, a role, but I think it was better to have them have external teachers other than me because it's, you know, the having your father teach you, it, it probably put a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. Were your parents musicians? No, they were both school teachers, but they had oh. incredible taste. My sister, Kirsten, who is a musical playwright in New York, very respected. She and I are cut from the same cloth. I know how she thinks. She knows how I think. Right. Did you write together as kids? No, but we used to play a lot of games together. She's like five years older than me. And she paid attention to me and yeah. and played with me. and. I developed an imagination because of her. Did you play creative games? Yeah, yeah, creative things. I can't even remember, but a lot of it had to, like we read Greek myths a lot. She would make these stories very clear to me, you know, and she also like would act out, like act out the music, you know, like listening to Mozart's um, symphony K40 on G minor. You know, she acted it out a lot, you know. She also introduced me to Laura Nero, you know. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, no, but she was, she was, she, she's great. My old, other sister, Joy, uh, introduced me to jazz, you know, and, um, you know, was also, you know, introduced me to a lot of stuff. Minnie Ripperton and Charles Stepney, uh, uh-huh. artists out of Chicago who, you know, that, changed my life so thereby I, I, I was blessed with my family do you feel that um, writing or anyone's sort of pursuit of their of their art or of their sort of given gifts is that a spiritual act for you I mean I personally you know I believe that I'm an agnostic you know so I believe that there's something there but I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to know what it is, you know. But I do believe that um, there is something that gave me this, this um, talent. I don't think it was just like ones and zeros, you know, right. X's and O's. I think there's some plan or some design. That's just my personal thing. I mean, there have been times when I've been on the bandstand where we just came about the same, it was like we were one mind, mm-hmm. you know, and there's five of us, and it's like we were one mind creating this tapestry to the point where it seemed beyond mere coincidence, you know. Right. Oh, we all happened to just kind of randomly think of the same thing at the same time for like five minutes. No, I, don't think, <laughs> I think it's, it's more than that. Man, you know, I'll be so glad when this nightmare is over. 2020, I just kind of threw away, you know. You know, a lot of people have, yeah. Yeah, you just got to look at the, um, look at 20, look at the future. I think the best thing to do is to look to the future. 
and to focus, keep focusing on the, you know, real, realize that things are what they are right now, but keep focusing on, you know, I don't, if, if, if there's one phrase I absolutely hate, it's the new normal. I hate that because um, it's, it's almost saying like the new resignation, basically. Like I resign myself to this screwed up situation. It's a new normal. It's just normal. That's just it. And, right. You know, um, and I don't accept that, you know. Um, so I, I look to the future. I look at being vigilant, wearing masks, social distancing, um, doing all the things, washing hands, doing all the things that um, that are necessary to stay safe. But but always with the intent of going back to the real normal, actually. Yeah. If listeners want to find you, find your music, where should they go? They should go to um, billychilds.com or also billychildsatartistshare.com. I'm just in the process of publishing, self-publishing my music, so a lot of stuff is going up there right now. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. I hope, um, I hope uh, people get something out of this. It was great to actually, uh, we've never really had a conversation in depth, you know. If I'd have known you were going to edit it, I would have, you know, my, my second language is cursing. So. <laughs> so, well, I guess he made my job a little easier. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm really grateful to Billy for being so open about his process and reminding me that no matter how much success you have or no matter how much experience you have, creating art is a struggle. It's always a process. It's always putting pieces of the puzzle together. I think Billy also made a great distinction between struggling for uh, to create art and suffering to create art because Billy did say that when the height of the protests, you know, were really when it was really distressing, um, he did step away and he did take time for himself and he he didn't push himself to write when he was not ready to. But then once he, he was ready, he continually showed up even though there was struggle. So I'm going to try to remind myself of that, that um, it's okay to struggle with your work. Um, but if you really do feel like you are suffering, um, whatever that might mean to you and your mental health, emotional health, then as Billy says, it is important to step away from a bit. I will also try to remember what Billy said, that really sometimes writing is just about showing up and banging your head against the wall and just looking at your piece from every possible angle until something clicks. And you have to be patient and understand that it can be a very frustrating process, but that eventually you will see the other side of it and you will create the work that you're imagining. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com 
or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.